Saludos and salutations, Broncos country. Welcome to another exciting episode of Broncos Talk. I'm your host, Adan Diaz, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host to my right at Richie. Richie, Richie, how are you doing today, my friend? Not bad. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks for asking. Welcome, everyone, to the Broncos Talk podcast. Now, before we get into today's subject, there's a couple things I want to go over with you guys just to make sure we go, uh, we get this out of the way. Guys, we are on a quest for 1,000 subs. If you haven't heard on our previous uh, podcast episodes on the Nothing Rhymes With podcast and the Mahai Roundtable, we are on a quest for 1,000 and we need your help. We need your support to try to get us to, to that 1,000 subscriber uh, hump. So if you're watching us on YouTube or if you're not and you have a YouTube channel, please go on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, hit that little bell so that you know dings and like that nice little sign when you follow somebody so you get live notifications on when broncos talk goes live also we want to remind you guys where you can find us we are on facebook youtube twitter and on twitch at mhrt podcast all one word so give us a follow there and as always we thank you we thank you for your support and we would like to remind you that we are a fan-based uh, led podcast so the opinions of myself and Richie are not of sports writers or professional or anything we're just really diehard Broncos fans who are going to give you our two cents of what we think of the team so with that being said Richie today's topic is about linebackers with that being said you know we had a bit of a scare with Bradley Chubb last week when he had a minor surgery procedure done on his um I believe it was his knee if I'm not mistaken um sure. Also, we're going to talk about the reemergence of one returning Von Miller and what we saw without him last season and what was deeply missed and what he brings to the table. So before we get into today's topic, guys, if you have any comments or questions that you want to ask myself or Rich, if you're watching us live, please hit us up in the live comment section and we're going to try to answer everything as best as we can with the time that's fitted to us. So, Richie, I want to get your take. What do you make of the Bradley Chubb uh, surgery? Do you see it as a bit of a, a minor thing that was kind of like maybe not put into big perspective? Or do you think that maybe there's something there that we're not realizing, something big? Uh, I just want to start off just by adding something else. Um, we're also going to be talking about Baron Browning, uh, who's been injured and was actually held out of uh, OTAs today. So mm-hmm. we are going to touch base on that. I- I'm going to ask anyone and everyone to come forward with any questions you have on the Baron Browning uh, piece as well. We will get to that later on in the pod. Now, with regards to uh, Bradley Chubb and my take on that, yeah, I actually I actually think it's a much bigger deal than what people are, are, are thinking. You have to imagine that... Bradley Chubb has had the entirety of the offseason to, to deal with this. And to be quite blunt, you would almost want to have dealt with this in the offseason without having to deal with the trainers, without having to deal with all the stuff that you're going to have, like, you know, obligations coming into the facility and whatnot. So I actually think that this is signaling, um, while it's cleanup work, um, funnily enough, I'm actually going to have to reach out to my orthopedic uh, for those of you who don't know, I actually played competitive rugby for a number of years. My uh, right leg, I have broken twice now. Uh, and uh, I am actually having some discomfort in kind of some of the joint areas on my right foot. So funnily enough, on, on literally on an identical topic for all intents and purposes, <laughs> um, I'm actually going to be reaching out to the surgeon that did the surgery on my foot to ask kind of what my options are and, and, and whatnot uh, in the near-ish future. Um, once things start improving here with regards to the pandemic, the name that shall not be named, um, and uh, so, I, so with regards to that, I actually think this is a much bigger deal. You know something is wrong when something is wrong like that. This is not something that you're walking around with saying, gee, maybe I can just push through it. You know you can push through it. Like, I can push through this probably for years if I had to in my foot. Besides the point, the point is, if it hurts and if it's bad and you're about to walk into a season where you're going to be getting hit or hitting, <laughs> right, other people you deal with that stuff in the off season when you don't have to worry about potentially missing game times. So I have a funny feeling that this is probably a little worse than what's being led on by both him and the team. And I think as Broncos fans, we do need to, I don't think it's necessarily concerning to a point where you like, you know, you're, you're taking that three steps back and you're saying, you know, is he going to be gone, gone? I think this is just one of those things where 
you start questioning the advice he's getting. You start questioning who his trainers are. You start questioning some of those types of decisions a little bit because anyone with any kind of sense would have wanted to have this done when it didn't impact the potential to get a game check. I totally, I can totally see your point. And before I give you guys my two cents, I just want to go and say hello to the fans that are in the room watching us at the moment. Bob Skinner says, sup Broncos country. Bob, thanks for joining us. Dave Glassman, as always, he says, happy June Broncos country. Hopefully this will signify the end of the Rogers speculation one way or another. Uh, EJ says, what's up Broncos country? Uh, with Dave also adding, what's up? Saludos, spell correctly. Yes, that's exactly how you spell saludos. So <laughs> thank you very much. And Travis Tarbox says, what's up fellas? DB4 life. So, uh, you know what, Rich? I was actually thinking about this uh, for a good part today. And when I first read that uh, article, it kind of, it didn't hit me as something that was like, you know, breaking news uh, like it did when Von Miller got hurt last season where, you know, it shocked Broncos country to its core. Sure. Um, What, what was really kind of like nibbling at my, in my mind, I guess you could say, was if Bradley Chubb did something during the off season that maybe aggravated his previous treatment where it's like, okay, because maybe you pushed yourself too hard now, you know, to avoid maybe another serious injury down the line, we need to do X amount of whatever to, you know, to prevent that from happening. So I'm hoping that's not the case, but I, I was just kind of wondering if if Bradley Chubb did something in his workouts or maybe not even workout, maybe just something he, he did at home that maybe aggravated his, his, uh, his is what is his ankle or whatever but he didn't have a previous ankle injury so uh to me this is i I don't think it's like giant worry news but i do think it's something to you know kind of keep an eye out especially uh the timetable that was given to him he was i think he'll make it in time for training camp if i'm not mistaken maybe not the beginning uh maybe halfway towards it but he'll he'll definitely be there for sure I just don't think he'll be in the uh, in in 100 uh, percent get ups with the rest of the other linebackers, uh, but uh, I, I do hope that uh, you know he does make a full recovery as expected. You know that there are no more setbacks because we're literally, as from what I saw today, we are 100 days away from kickoff, Rich, and those 100 right. days are going to go like hotcakes. <laughs> right. But but I mean, a bone spur is effectively, which is what Bradley Chubb had. I, I, and Travis, I just want to thank you for your coming. You're absolutely correct. He did have a, a, what was diagnosed and announced, uh, at least with some degree of authority from both, I think, the team and, and Chubb himself. But at, at least from a, a, an authority or authoritative um, uh, media outlet that, that you could trust. And so a bone spur is just is a calcium uh, either deposit or a jot out uh, that needs to be removed. So yes, it's effectively a shaving of the bone or sometimes you can also get the uh, bone spur that floats. Um, again, I have had my share of minor injuries and unlike all the NFL players, I come from a family that does not believe in visiting doctors um so i played through all most of them um <laughs> and uh and so i've I broken multiple bones and never gone to see a doctor ever and except for the really bad one where i, I couldn't move my foot and i kind of knew that i was kind of stuck um so <laughs> um yeah when you can't move your foot and you're sitting on the side of the field you, you kind of know you got to go see a surgeon um so with regards to this the problem you're going to end up with the bone spur like this is you don't it's this is not one of those things you don't know you have you know you have it and a lot of the times a spur like this is often caused not uh anyone who's played basketball would also be somewhat familiar with something like this it's typically caused when you put a lot of pressure maybe when you jump and you're kind of a big guy and then you maybe a small little minor crack in the bone not a not a full break but like even like a micro fracture and when your body heals it actually overheals and sometimes adds a little extra kind of calcium or bone kind of just to the edge part of your foot and then all of a sudden you know a a year later two years later you're walking around you have this sharp 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 shooting pain sometimes it goes away and that means it's often broken off and and you're sometimes it really hurts then sometimes it gets a lot better but what chubb has basically announced or what was announced for him is that he had a bone spur like that and again 
this is something that you know you have like it hurts like nobody's business <laughs> so because it feels it honestly in the bottom part of your foot or even in your ankle if, if you've had if you've ever had one it actually feels like someone is stabbing your foot mm. okay so this is not one of those things where you're saying oh nothing's wrong this is one of those things where you say something is definitely wrong right uh mr boggins adds in chimes in he says chubb had an ankle issue that that last couple of games of the last season the broncos waited to see if he'd recover and it was lingering so he had bone spur cleanup and boggins i do appreciate your clarification on that even if uh, that's true though th that means that he went the entirety of the offseason without having it looked at right uh, probably if, if it happened at the end of like if if what we're saying is a timeline in that particular comment is in fact true and i have no doubt i have no reason to doubt boggins comment there whatsoever then that means he went from the end of last season then the last game all the way into what is effectively otas with a bone spur or 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 maybe some something similar to it but even then if you're hurt and not feeling well or if there's a problem like that someone like chubb should have gone to to see someone especially given kind of he's entering into it i would argue is a fairly critical year for him um he should get that looked at when it's not going to potentially impact his ability to get on the field in in my opinion mm -hmm. uh bob skinner says i'm going to stay positive i think he will be okay oh i and think he will be too i i think so too uh, sure. uh and and i trust uh uh mr boggins intake uh about what happened and i'm pretty sure that's something that the broncos uh uh medical staff has been monitoring for a while now where it wasn't it may be a huge issue where it was impacting his game per se like it wasn't affecting his stance it wasn't affecting his takeoff it was just you know something that didn't get better on its own and rather than you know just leave it as it is and then worst case scenario it gets worse during the regular season you know take care of it while they have the time so um, i'm i'm going i'm agreeing with you bob i'm gonna say that you know chubb is gonna be all right no need to worry please don't take my comment as all doom and gloom either that really wasn't what the intention was the, the, my point was is if the timeline what boggins put and i believe it's accurate where he he had maybe ankle issues or or, or you know nagging kind of lingering pain the fact remains is that a bone spur is quite painful regardless. So at the end of the season, when you're no longer in the rigors of the NFL, you're going to know pretty soon that there's probably something wrong. And in my opinion, I think someone like Chubb would be doing himself and the team a favor by getting it addressed when it, like, like, like I said before, when it doesn't have the possibility of impacting his ability to get on the field. Very much agreed. So with that being said, let's talk about uh, our good friend Von Miller, Richie. And I, I mean, I wish I was friends with Von Miller, but <laughs> you is know, you need to have him on here. Well, I have a friend whose last name is Miller, but <laughs> no, no relation <laughs> to Von. Um, but, you know, watching these these uh, videos, these hype videos that the Broncos team put out and, you know, pictures of Von being out there on the field. And, you know, it's just basically Von being Von. And, you know, I was when I was watching some of the defensive highlights that the Broncos had last season, while they were good, not to take away anything from, you know, the the, the defense, the, 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 the amazing plays that the defense played, you couldn't help but, but wonder what if Vaughn would have been on that play, you know, or, you know, even if Vaughn wasn't in there, you know, usually Vaughn's on the sidelines. He's usually the, the hype man or the inspiration for, uh, you know, guys like... Uh, uh, on the, the defensive line, you know, they, they need that kind of motivation, that kind of push, you know, to the, the, have the fire lit under their butt to say, hey, you know, get, go out there, get that ball back so our guys can go, you know, the office can go to work. So, and that's something that we as Broncos fans have always been used to seeing, unless if you were a fan in the 2013 season when he got injured and in the playoffs, and then he went that entire uh, offseason or uh, playoff run without you know, without the Broncos and then initially his, his uh, game suspension, which I believe was that same season where he was suspended for six or seven games or something like that 
for um uh i think it was a pd violation i want to say it was six and then reduced to four four okay but, but i i'm i'm don't hold me a hundred percent to that but i want to i want to say it started at six and i think they reduced it to four yeah well it was during vaughn's you know younger younger days when he was kind of like you know uh still new and you know he was the talk of the town so to speak and yes uh but the fact that you saw the potential that you what you had in a guy like von miller was just amazing and when you paired him up with a guy like uh, uh doomerville i mean that was just oh my goodness rich I, I can't even put it into words how amazing those two guys were together doomerville had that class that was that was really it's an underrated move now what Doomerville and um, Mathis had that as well when he was in the league that it, I, I almost want to call it like the aggressive spin because I have no other I, I have no other way because it's not just a spin move like the way that both of those two guys did it they did it both quickly and violently and it was a very unique you just don't really I, I can't think of anyone that I've seen that really does it like the way that they do it now or the, the way that they did it then with guys currently in the NFL, where I could say, "Oh, that's that's the that's the Doomerville spin or the the Mathis spin." I, you just don't see that anymore. You see some guys do some spins to try and get out of like some of the um, initial holds of the uh, linemen, but not to that, not with that violence that you saw from those two guys. So I agree with that. I, I like that. Um, the one thing, so there's two lines of thought when when you're dealing with, in my opinion, for the the defensive line. You either end up with two bookend rushers like in Chubb and Vaughn, and then you rely on on hoping that because the offensive line or the off the opposing offense needs to then account for both of them, that you hope that they kind of spread coverage um, to kind of mask and prevent those guys from getting around the edges to kind of impacting the quarterback, and you hope that those two guys help the interior guys enable them to get pressure up the middle so that the opposing offensive line doesn't ignore the edges and then just focus on the middle in terms of coverage. And then the other way of looking at the defensive line linebackers aside is the interior defensive line where you try to get that constant and and just absolutely aggressive push right up the middle which then allows for average outside linebackers to then make it around the edge. And different teams are going to approach it different ways. We've even seen on the Broncos us approach it different ways. Uh, you know, you would argue that we tried to do some different things last year to get pressure on the outsides. Most of the time it didn't work all that well, but <laughs> we did try. <laughs> that we did, yes. We, we did try. Uh, you, you know what? I just want to highlight a comment here from Mr. Boggins. This is Doomerville's best move was called the fax machine. <laughs> um, now, for those of you who don't know or might not remember, uh, in 2014, I believe it was, uh, Doomerville's agent did not fax over the contract. To, the signed contract. The signed contract. Yeah. That, that, thank yeah. you. To the Broncos uh, front office before the deadline. And unfortunately that meant that the Broncos could not re-sign uh, Doomerville for another, I, I forgot what the details for that contract was, maybe a year or two. And that's what led to Doomerville signing with the Baltimore Ravens uh, that season. So, I mean, it would have been great to have another year of, of Von Miller and Doomerville because I honestly believe that if you would have had Doomerville back for 2014, the Broncos would have stood up a, a much better chance of, uh, defeating Indianapolis, who came into the playoffs that season pretty hot, and the Broncos were—they shouldn't have lost that game. You know, they should have been the ones to have gone to uh, face uh, Tom Brady in New England, because I believe Denver was the second seed. Oh, we were a uh, good team in that little stretch there. We were, we were, we were our force, right? Yeah, like, you know, we were a legitimate force. So. I, I agree. Now, having Doomerville back on that contract, um, you could argue would have put us in a bit of a cap situation just because mm -hmm. he was commanding a higher cap value, a cap dollar at that point. Arguably, you could say it's probably worth it because he, he he did he did well, right? He was good yeah. at what he did. But uh, keeping him or bringing him back would have put us in a bit of a cap challenge. And who knows what we would have or would not have been able to do with regards to signing other guys leading into what we ultimately ended up with in 2015, which was the Super Bowl. 
Mm-hmm. No, I, I totally agree. Uh, but, you, you know, one thing that John Elway was pretty good at, you know, going into, excuse me, going into uh, that season was kind of, you know, moving money around. Now, it would have, going to your point, though, it would have been really difficult if that contract would have stretched over past 2015 because John Elway needed to scrape up money to pay Von Miller. And, you know, and he almost shelled out a really a huge amount of money to re-sign Brock Osweiler as our, our starting quarterback right. that season. So, you know, uh, shout out to the Texans. Thank you guys for beating us out for two more million dollars <laughs> and taking Brock Osweiler off of our hands because I don't think Broncos country could have took that uh, that hit of our reputation having uh, a guy like Osweiler, even though he does have a Super Bowl ring. But, you know, filling in for a guy like Peyton Manning, even after the, the that last season that Peyton Manning had, even though it wasn't his greatest, those were still pretty big shoes to fill. Um, you know, and unfortunately, we do still kind of have to take the hit for, you know, Paxton Lynch and all the hype that came with him in terms of being the next big quarterback. But we did get some pretty decent gameplay out of Trevor Simeon. And unfortunately, Paxton Lynch just turned out to be uh, a bust. Yeah, well, I, I've heard it from others, and so I'll, I'll, I'll say it as well. You know, Paxton, from all accounts, was more concerned with the uh, high scores in, in Madden and Fortnite uh, and his kill count in, in Fortnite uh, more so than, than football, where he should have been concerned with, you know, throwing the football, learning plays, all that, all those types of things. And, um, you know, he made some money. He, he, he did okay for himself considering – you know, he still made millions of dollars because he was a first-round pick, which is more than what most of us can say uh, in in our respective careers. Agreed. So, you know, in terms of that kind of stuff, I mean, he did clearly did okay for himself. It's just now, given his age, unless he's invested that money extremely well, he, he will likely need to look at some form of supplementary career of sorts um, as he looks for as he you know moves on and and you know moves forward. No, I, I totally do agree. But, you know, going back to uh, uh, Von Miller, Rich, I think the thing that makes this defense from what's already being projected as being a top five defense is just the fact that the Broncos can put Von Miller's name on paper and saying, you know, he's not a 50-50. He's, he's good to go. He's, he's raring to go. And, you know, this isn't like last year where we were all caught up in the, you know, Von Miller training hype videos and, you know, seeing him all these intense workouts to get Super Bowl. This is a totally different type of of return for Von Miller. So I'm I'm expecting to see a man who's really hungry for the game, who's going to go out there and, and, and give it his all and, you know, just go out there and have fun, which is, I think, why we love Von Miller so much is, you know, while he is competitive, he goes out there and he has fun in what he does. And he learned growing up, you know, from being a rookie and, you know, not letting it all kind of go to his head. Like, but then again, that's what you get from most rookies coming out of the draft. You know, once they start or once they have a pretty fantastic season, they, the ego kind of starts to take over. And, you know, being young, ego and young are a very dangerous mix. And if you're not careful, especially when you give somebody a, a, a lot of money, they can go out and do a lot of stupid stuff. You missed the third pillar in that. And and frankly, the third pillar is what really makes it dangerous. Young, ego, and money. Money. I, didn't I mention money? No. <laughs> no. Young, ego, money. So you have a young guy who's who's getting kind of pumped up just because of, you know, play on the field and what have you. Mm-hmm. And then you add on to the fact that he was like, he was a second overall pick, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so so you know, I I realize that there's been a sliding scale in terms of financials, you know, between then and now. But still, even back then, he would have been making you know some pretty good money as a result of being a second pick overall. So I mean, he already was making pretty good, or you know, for a rookie, he was making pretty good money, and uh, you know, in rookie quarterback money, if you will, uh, given the, where he was uh, taken. Now. The one thing that I think is being missed and really not being spoken about enough by by many that I'm hearing is Von Miller is one of the only players, if not the only player that I can think of, that was still on the Super Bowl 50 team. 
And I, I think that's being understated a little bit because Vaughn knows what it takes to win. He knows what it took for that team as a defense, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, since our focus is on linebackers. So we're basically narrowly focused on defense right now. Vaughn Miller knows what it takes to go in to win a game. He also knows what it takes to go in and win a Super Bowl. Why? Because he lost one as well. So he knows exactly what kind of work, how a team needs to gel, the types of things that need to go your way versus not. So he knows all of the ins and outs of what it takes to win a football game. And these other guys that are on our team right now, most of them have only known losing, right? We have not had, we've had what, three consecutive years of losing records now? Mm -hmm. So... You know, Von Miller is really the last remaining Bronco, really, of the of that cohort and group because Chris Harris Jr. is no longer with us. So he was one of the other few remaining guys from that Super Bowl uh, 50 roster that could really help coach and, and and train the young guys on what it took to win. And then the other guy that we had retained for a couple extra years past that as well. But of course, we've let go. And my understanding was he even had we had the opportunity to resign but we didn't do it was bring back Derek Wolf. Derek Wolf also stuck with us for those a year or two, I think after as well. And he was another guy that again, from the winning culture that we had built up here from the Super Bowl team. Uh, so I think that's an invaluable asset that we have in Vaughn that isn't really being spoken about enough. No, I totally agree. Uh, and EJ has a question for us, uh, Rich, and it's kind of off topic, but I, we do have time to, answer it for him he says our offense averaged 20.2 points per game last year do you guys think we can average 30 plus points per game this year now ej i'm going to be honest with you this is a pretty hard question to answer because at, at least at this point in time because we don't know who our definitive quarterback is at this time right now we could give you two possible answers and maybe a third really hypothetical if it even happens um so if you get drew lock to start which is going to be my my first point to you i'm going to say maybe not because the the mountain for drew lock to climb at this point in time to try to redeem himself is is high like mile high high <laughs> you know you can even say mount everest high uh so and you know we've seen the the videos of him uh practicing with uh or learning under Peyton Manning and you know his great practices and everything but you have to understand that those things while they're great can only take you so far so and and I'm that's coming from a Julak supporter mind you so I do want Julak to succeed I do want him to turn the the tables around and you know because one thing I was worried about last year and I've said this before was I was really worried about all the, the attention that Julak was gaining about being a dark horse and being the next Patrick Mahomes and being the next Lamar Jackson and you know being the next stud rookie quarterback that those other guys were. And come season, just falling completely flat. So I don't think he's going to come out slinging 30 points a game against the Giants because the Giants had a pretty good, uh, a decent defense last season. I mean, they beat they beat they beat Seattle. So you got to give the Giants credit. They don't look like a team that's going to give up thirty something points unless Julak goes out there and knocks it out of the field. Uh, my second point to you, uh, Teddy Bridgewater. I haven't seen enough of him as a Bronco to kind of say that. So I can only base on what I saw him do in Carolina. If you give him those type of weapons, which is weapons he didn't have last season with Carolina. Teddy Bridgewater can give you a 30-point game if he slings the ball more than uh, 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 more than check down Charlie a quarterback can. So I would say that Bridgewater could give you more than 30 points a game, more than Julak as it stands. But again, those are just opinions, not facts. So I'm going to take this from two different vantage points, uh, EJ. And, and I really, really like the question. Uh, so first off, A, thank you for asking it. And, and two, I appreciate uh, you and everyone else here that's uh, joined us this evening. Uh, I, I really do uh, appreciate you guys coming in. Um, and after the, the stream is, is done or whatever have you, please feel free to comment in, in the videos. We really do want to keep the interaction going. Um, my, my comments on this are, are from two different angles here. So, so one, I do expect Drew Locke to take a step forward. Now, the debate as 
six foot ten clearly stated is just how big of a step forward is that going to be? In my opinion, a, a realistic expectation from a Broncos fan should be that we want Drew Locke to be somewhere in the middle. So if he can go from the 32nd or 33rd starting quarterback in the NFL from 20, his 2020 season statistically and get him into that 15 range, that is all we should be expecting of him. And frankly, that puts us in a pretty darn good situation as a Denver Broncos, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we should we should put that as our as our benchmark. And if he gets even better than that, man, we should be having we should be throwing a party. Right, because that's that's awesome. Because that is that is a massive, and I mean, to your point, a mile high leap forward. Right now, when I say that, if if Drew Locke can make even close to a step of that magnitude in his game and his rankings and passing and all that kind of stuff, we don't need to score thirty points a game. We really don't, because. A lot of the points that were scored against us were as a result of our offense putting our defense in absolute horrible situations last season. I don't actually have the stats in front of me. And as you all know, I don't pay for PFF or any of that kind of stuff. But I suspect that we did not rank particularly well in starting field for the opposing team. Because how many three and outs did we end up with as an offense? How many times did we end up where we didn't convert? We didn't get the field goal. We didn't get the touchdown. I can tell you the one stat that I do know is that in our red zone, we ranked 27th out of 32 teams. So we certainly were not putting six on the board when we should have been. (laughs) So, So what I do know from all that is that we were not putting high points on the boards. And I know that we were putting our defense in really, really bad situations. And part of that was also due to the fact that Drew Locke had a very, very high turnover ratio, uh, rate last year. Not only just interceptions, which were also quite high for Drew, but he also had quite a number of times where the ball was stripped or knocked out of his hands, which again is putting the de- the offense of the opposition in a better field position and our defense in a poor position. So to your point, I don't think we need to score 30 points a game. However, if Drew Locke can take what we all hope are the steps he's going to take this season and actually meet some of those milestones, I think you're going to see a completely different Denver Broncos team on the field. Very well said, my friend. And, and you know, to, to add to your point, while it is wishful thinking at this point in time to have, you know, that type of faith in Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, you also don't want them to overstep their their boundaries. You know, going back to Drew Locke, uh, you know, while I do support him and I hope he does well, I don't want him to overdo it. You know, I don't want him to just throw the ball just to for to make a highlight reel. You know, I want him to correctify his mistakes as are pointed out to him by his coaches, not to do whatever the fans say he should do, uh, because that's why that's what some quarterbacks, I'm guessing, uh, probably do, you know, when they go on social media and they read stuff and then they try to do it, you know, for the hype. Um, but uh, for, for Julak, I just I just want him to succeed, man. And I want him to play great and to just prove the Broncos not so much wrong but you know he's got a new boss in George Payton so unlike the guy who hired him George Payton is gonna need some really really good convincing to keep him from putting him on the trade block next season I I think he if he's even at the end of his season or to just even stay on the team uh by that point so like I said his road to being quarterback number one at this point it's a little bit harder than Teddy Bridgewater because Bridgewater, he's a veteran. He comes from experience. And the Broncos have, in previous years, have kind of dealt more when they have an experienced quarterback over a rookie quarterback. They kind of go with the experience first and then, you know, maybe dip their toe with the young, with the younger guy during the regular season. At least they tried to with Joe Flacco, but unfortunately, Drew Locke got hurt and that kind of threw a wrench into things. And then they went up and picked up Brandon Allen and they didn't want to do that with, uh, you know, a veteran and quarterback. But thankfully, Drew Locke's injury and his uh, uh, rehab and recuperation kicked in just in time by the time that it was time to bench Flacco for a quote unquote uh, neck injury. And, uh, you know, as they say, the rest is history. So I, I thought it'd be good to 
since you were talking about Von Miller before we went on to the offense, um, I thought it'd be interesting to mention some of our other uh, outside linebackers. Um, so we have um, Derek Tuska, and I probably mispronounced that last name. Uh, we have uh, Malik Reed, Andre Mintz, Von Miller, and Bradley Chubb that are all listed on the current roster as outside linebackers. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we have the the two bookends that we expect to be at the outside linebacker position in Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, assuming that everything goes, you know, the way we expect everything to, with regards to Chubb's surgery and 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 Von being back to one hundred percent. Um, the the two that I actually wanted to kind of talk about were, um, well, actually the three rather are uh, Malik Reed uh, being one who is kind of in that same spot almost that we saw Shaq Barrett in with our team at some point. Really, if you're going to draw any parallels, I actually think it's a a semi-accurate one, Uh, except I think Shaq Barrett was a little bit better against the run than Malik Reed uh, has proven to to be with our team. And then we have Derek and, and Andre. Jonathan Cooper, thank you. Yeah, I mm-hmm. appreciate that. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I thought he was sidelined or or I have to look at the, the news, but I, I swore I read something up on him to say that he had some kind of medical issue. Um, if someone wants to jump in and, and confirm or tell me that I'm wrong, I'm happy to be either. But um, <laughs> I, 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 I could have sworn that I thought he had... Uh, a medical issue that they kind of pulled him uh, again. Like I said, maybe I'm wrong. That's right. Heart problems. Thank you, Travis. So I, I thought, I thought he was pulled as a result of those and basically sidelined until he kind of got to a point where he was healthy. He had a heart issue, but he's back after a procedure says Boggins and Tarbox, Travis Tarbox. Let's just say the heart is a finicky thing. Um, Doctors will openly tell you that work that are in cardiologists and, and whatnot will openly tell you that it's still something that we as humans are still learning a fair amount about, just like the human brain. A boot. So, pardon me? <laughs> a boot. A boot. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> the Canadian in me jumped out. Uh, so, uh, it's just it's 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 just a known thing. And so I would... You are playing such a violent sport in football that puts such a stress on your body. And in turn, your heart's going to be pumping a mile a minute as you're trying to support all of that activity. So I am i don't doubt that a young, healthy man like that can bounce back and, and someone at his age can bounce back and, and, and go right out there at some point. I just really question whether or not it's a good idea for us this, uh, sorry, early in the season at the very least. For us to put him out there and potentially put him at risk when if you were just slightly more patient you could potentially develop him much like we did with say Malik Reed and some other guys where we kind of worked them in a little bit brought them out worked them in a little bit and now you have a, a pretty by all accounts solid rotational player for our team and every team needs guys like that and you need guys to come in after them because a lot of the times rotational guys like that are going to be priced out of what you want to pay for someone who's going to fill that role for your team. So that kind of leads me a little bit into Andre Mintz, who I'm actually pretty excited to see. I would love to see this guy. I'm I'm actually preseason. I could not be more excited for this year uh, personally, because I want to see some of these undrafted uh, rookies get on the field. I have a couple of them. I have my eye on. We're focusing on linebackers though. So Andre is the guy that I'm actually interested to see of the undrafted guys. I think Jonathan Cooper was also an undrafted guy. So he's another one that I am interested to see. I'm just really concerned when you start getting into heart stuff. I, I, I just I just think recovery is needed in order to get him all the way back to a point where I would personally feel comfortable with him playing NFL games. I can totally agree. And you know what? Before we switch over to inside linebackers, because I feel we haven't given them enough love, and time uh let me just say malik reed is a very interesting prospect for the broncos uh i was pretty high on him seeing him in uh, 2019 preseason uh you know they call him the dream killer 
his teammates do. So he has some pretty big shoes to fill once Von Miller decides to hang him up. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying he's going to do it in the near in the near future, but him stepping up to the plate last season when Von Miller got hurt, it was a pretty big deal for him. And while he wasn't the best outside linebacker, you know, opposite Chubb, he did have some pretty decent games where it was if you didn't pay attention to him, he would sneak up on you, you know. So I think for him, even with Von Miller coming back, I don't think his role diminishes any any less. It's not like he's gonna, you know, return and not be relevant again. He's still gonna come in and, you know, on those reps where Von needs a breather, but now he's not gonna be so much uh rookie-ish is is my point. He's gonna he has the experience now. He he knows like, okay, I know what it is, and he can go out there and last a couple bit more plays out there until Von Miller gets his breath his breath in and then Von can come back in, you know, sub in and sub out type of thing. Or for Chubb for that matter. So uh I, no, I Reed did well for yeah, us. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I thought I was convenient position. Go ahead. <laughs> no, Reed did Reed did well for us. My concern with him though is I saw most of his pressures and sacks come off of largely coverage stuff where the back end covered really well. Um despite the fact that we basically pulled a guy from the stands to play cornerback for us. Um, in Motley, we literally signed him when he was on the field. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, you know, aside from all that, I I actually think that that Reed would actually be a super interesting prospect because I think he could be a, someone that would that is going to be one of those really interesting guys. I actually think that if you brought in Reed off the off the bench as like a rotational guy, he would be a change in pace for the tackle to cover which would actually make it harder for him to be blocked because they're so used to going up against, say, Vaughn or Chubb, that when Reed gets mixed in, his technique's going to be slightly different. His body size and type and stance and and everything else is going to be slightly different. So I actually think that if Reed is used more rotationally, which means, fingers crossed, Vaughn and Chubb 100% healthy, then I actually think Reed can have a pretty good season because when you mix stuff up, it's a lot harder to get used to the rotational guy <laughs> than it is to, to because you get into a bit of a groove and a rhythm as you're dealing with the starter. And then when the rotational guy comes in, which is what we kind of saw from Shaq Barrett a little bit, he had a couple games, remember when he was with us, where he'd have like three sacks in a game and you're just like, oh yeah. <laughs> right? And then he'd have a few games where he didn't show out because he was just he was a change of pace, but he was the wrong change of pace for the guy that he was going up against because his skill sets did not match up well against the tackle that he was going up against. So I think I think Reed could do really well as a rotational guy and actually put up better numbers. I don't think that he's at a stage, and he may never get there, if we're going to be honest, to be the guy to replace someone like Vaughn or Chubb. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alamo on the rise says uh, new name. I don't think we've heard his name here on the show. Uh, thank you so in. much. Yeah, thanks for coming. So aside from Reed, there's little depth at all outside linebacker. Here's hoping that Vaughn and Chubb can stay healthy. And I totally agree with that statement. 100% rich. I uh, but going into let's talk about the inside linebackers, which is Alexander Johnson and our good friend, Honey Bear, Josie Jewell. Now, you did mention Brandon Browning at the beginning of the show. And Fair I, right. yeah, yeah. I, I didn't realize he was he was injured. Uh, I, I did not. I did not see any report on my feed anyway. According to the uh, Broncos website, he hurt himself in rookie minicamp in May. Mm-hmm. And they've held him out. I just was reading online before the show started. They've held him out as a precautionary measure for a lower leg injury. Oh, OK. Which is which is super super specific, yeah. <laughs> oh, those leg injuries, man. No, it no, it's a lower leg injury, and and literally that's the detail that they went into. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, I was, I, but I was about to say lower leg injuries for you know running backs and and defensive guys who rely on their speed to get you know off the line and into the quarterback. That that that's a lot. Uh, that mean, or I should say, that means a lot, but. Uh, you know, I think once Browning gets healthy and he comes back, I think he he could have a good shot at challenging uh, Josie Jewell for that starting spot, depending on what kind of a preseason Browning has. 
uh, what kind of tape he can put on for those three games. Uh, but I do see him at this point as being more of a maybe a rotational type of guy uh, with Jewel and, and maybe Johnson. I think Johnson is the better linebacker out of out of the two. But then again, we have Justin Sternad, who is a name that a lot of Broncos players have not heard or even remember that got hurt last season with that wrist injury that sidelined him for the entire season uh, last year. So he's coming back. So he's going to throw his name into that hat. And uh, I mean, it's it's going to be a really, really interesting training camp to see who beats out who and, you know, who gets starting and who ends up being, uh, you know, reserve or backup. Johnson is a lot more versatile uh, than Jewel is. Um, he's also, I believe, bigger, and oddly enough, he also looks to be faster. So it's it's a Johnson is is a bit of a better mix of skill sets than Josie Jewel. Now I will say that's not saying a ton because Jewel is, by all accounts, slow, <laughs> and and we've really seen some of his limit limitations rather on the team he can be a great guy a great leader and and he could really know his in, the ins and outs of football Th- that's really not what my comments are about it's the fact that um i've been i've been re-watching actually some chicago tape from fangio when he was with chicago before he came to the, the broncos uh should be near and dear to basically everyone else that you know is hard um <laughs> yeah, agreed I, yeah and uh and, and and so I know your friend was in here actually a little while ago, and I don't know if he's going to be watching after the fact, but here's my obligatory Chicago Bears comment for the uh, for the show. Um, I really liked what I saw from Fangio's usage of linebackers and, and what Fangio was liking to do when he was in Chicago, and this was in large part because he had the personnel to do it. We all remember Danny Trevathan. Um, quite literally one of my favorite linebackers that the Broncos have had. And I think he was severely underrated as a player by most of uh, the Broncos fan base. Um, He was fantastic at the sideline to sideline stuff. And he was also, he had this weird instinct when it came to where the ball was going to go and how it was going to get there. And so not only did he have pretty good tackling technique and was always pretty good around the ball, but he was always right there when the ball was right there, which really allowed our defense to be more aggressive and it allowed us to stop the opposing team. That's why our 2015 defense, one of the reasons why it was so good. Mm-hmm. So when I see the attack mentality that we saw from Fangio's defense with the linebacking core as being the um, kind of the jumping off point of, of a lot of those things, it then allowed the safeties to play a little bit differently and and a little bit more off ball read and then react. Um, And it just did a lot more for the defense there in Chicago. So I think that someone like Browning um, who, when you see him play has got that sideline to sideline speed, but also has some size to him as well. He's kind of a Fangio type player. He's got that proper blend. I think that someone that Fangio is looking for in an inside linebacker, not so different from Trevathan, who, albeit was a slightly smaller guy, but Trevathan played far bigger than he actually was. Yeah, well, you know, I can't think of the other linebacker's name. His name is escaping me. But the Bears ran a, a very interesting linebacker core, inside linebacker core, in a veteran in Trevathan. And then the other young young guy who was a rookie at the time, and I can't think of his name, uh, but... Having oh, those, get in trouble with your boys. Yeah, my friend Eric's going to chew me up. <laughs> um, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. But uh, I do remember that the, that 2018 Bears defense was really formidable because not only was their front line vicious with, right. you know, guys like Khalil Mack and Akeem right. Hicks and, and what have you, but, you know, their secondary was, was really good. You know, they had Jackson, they had Callahan, and they had Fuller. Right. You know, two of those three that we currently have. So the fact that and, and seeing just what type of impact Vic Fangio had on that defense when he left, you know, being when that was the, the defense was one of the reasons why the Bears not only won their division that year, but went to the playoffs and were just up a field goal away from going to play Drew Brees in, in New Orleans. Just 
kind of brings gives you an idea of the mentality that Vic Fangio brings to this defense and how he can help formulate and create players, whether they're veterans or whether they're coming back from injuries who are I don't want to say I don't know if rookie's the right word, but I mean basically what I'm trying to say is you don't need to have two of the same. Uh, as Boggin states here in this comment, he says, Jewel and Johnson are downhill slash running stuff slash Mike types. Sternod and Browning are more athletic coverage slash chase slash will types. So, and he's totally right. He, Those- he is. Now, can I pose a question back to everyone? Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I'd like to hear some responses. I'm, I'm seeing the game obviously changing a fair amount. So I've actually believed that someone like Browning or, um, Stranad, uh, Stranads, wh- whatever, uh, <laughs> S. Um, <laughs> I could totally see the game changing, going more in their direction and moving more away from, as much as I hate to agree with you and, and basically say it, away from like guys like Josie Jewell, right? Because you know, the game is moving at a much faster pace and you're dealing with guys that are going to be thrown in the flat and you need the speed in order to get kind of over to, to get to them, so to speak. So I, I do wonder if you're going to start seeing more hybrid style linebackers becoming what you would typically think of as downhill run stuffers and run blockers more and more in the NFL and the fact that the inside linebackers are just going to simply be asked to be both. So I'm very curious to see what all of the viewers here think about a comment like that. Uh, if you want to go ahead and leave those comments, we'll, we'll throw them up and we'll maybe discuss them at some point as the show goes on. But that's a general kind of feeling that I have, which is we're going to see more Baron Brownings. We're going to see less Josie Jewels. And I think what we're going to start seeing is as these drafts continue to go on, my opinion, obviously, is I think we're going to start seeing the bearing Brownings of the inside linebackers as they become more and more successful in the NFL. Like we saw from Tampa Bay's uh, defense there in the Super Bowl with having the sideline to sign linebackers at their disposal. We're going to see more and more of those, even if they're not spectacular, rise in the draft and more and more of those thumpers that we're traditionally seeing that we're going higher, going lower in the draft, just because that's the direction the NFL is going with these hybrid kind of college NFL offenses. Yeah, and uh, you know, just to finish my point from earlier, uh, I, I trust that Vic Fangio is going to know uh, what what he changes the scheme, uh, which which linebackers work best for that uh, play that's on the field. And even if he can't see the plays like he used to before when he was D.C., you know, he does trust his defensive coordinator who was with him in Chicago and other previous teams who he he knows everything that Vic Fangio knows. So it's pretty much the same thing. So I trust that if they do run that combination and you see both Jewel and Johnson, you know, it's going to be one type of uh, defensive scheme. Whereas if you see Sternod and Browning in there, you know, it's going to be a different type of uh, cover or, or man zone, uh, what have you. So uh, Boggins, uh, with his answer, he says, I mean, I'm sure every team would love the smart slash athletic freaks, small pickings. You settle with a jewel because he's smart and knows where he's supposed to be until you find your quote-unquote golden goose. Right, but then, then kind of what my point was more along the lines of is that's where we are now. And I actually totally agree with that as a comment. If we were to look at that like today, (laughs) right? You know, in today's NFL, because the NFL seems to be very much in a transitionary phase, right? We're we're moving more and more towards a a very uh, pass happy style offense. And we're seeing the ball being thrown all over. And frankly, all the rules are moving in favor of the ball being thrown all over the field. So, and to pull up, can we pull up Alamo's comment there? Because this is basically exactly what I'm about to say is we're about to see a lot, I believe, a lot more passing all over the field. And as a result, the defenses need to evolve in order to pick up the slack to avoid getting embarrassed effectively on Sundays by the opposing offenses. 
And that's kind of where I was going very much in line with this comment here is that the defenses need to evolve in order to match the offenses that are offenses that are being put on the field. So today, yes, teams need to settle for a guy like Josie Jewell. But then on the flip side, I think that tomorrow and perhaps beyond, I think the teams are going to look to settle for a guy like a Baron Browning, who is clearly talented, but needs to be polished because someone with his skill sets are probably going to be better suited and will be more likely to succeed against the opposing offenses more so than a guy like Josie Jewell. Because the problem with the Josie Jewell is as smart as he is, if he can't get to the spot where the ball is thrown because he's not athletic enough, it doesn't matter. Because I don't believe that that's the challenge. If he's too far away from the ball, even if where he knows where it's going to go, if he can get there fast enough, it's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And Boggins follows up. He says, yes, you are correct. However, I think the defensive schemes are changing to adjust more than linebacker skill set. Five or six DBs. And I that's, think that's the alternative, 100%. And that's actually true. And the advantage that the Broncos have is that they have a defensive-minded coach who, against an offensive-minded team, he can see what they run on film and say, okay, I know how to beat that. You know, instead of just letting the Sorry, defensive I have to interject there. We have perhaps the premier defensive-minded head coach in the NFL. And I think that's really important because I think so many people slam Fangio. Mm-hmm. Fangio is such an awful head coach and awful defensive mind that three other teams have just copied him this offseason by hiring people that have worked in his defensive scheme. I'm sorry to interject. It's just I, I, I keep on here seeing all these like Twitter feeds of people slamming Fangio and whatnot. But yet he's such an unsuccessful <laughs> coach and, and scheme that other teams are trying to copy him. And I think that needs to be noted and we need to call that out. You know, the only issue I have with people slamming Fangio is that they slam him for the most inopportune things. Or if you're going to slam Fangio, at least have something positive to follow up on it. Like, yeah, and I I totally get it. He's still trying to get the learn how to be a head coach. And it was the timeouts, end of season and beginning of season, totally boneheaded. I get that. But you cannot take any credit away or the determination away from that man from him being a scrape up being able to scrape up bottom of the barrel guys at the very end of the year in a game that mattered to neither team and still have went out there and not just in that game but towards almost the whole season as we were losing our our best players left and right who were dropping like flies to injury and Fangio was still going out there and preventing teams from running wild on us you know because if you honestly look at how many injured players were on paper and you saw that before the offseason you would have thought that the broncos would have won a game or two and that would have been it everyone wants to know what's in the boot um so uh this is uh i don't know if you can see that there Mm -hmm. so this is uh I've shared them out a couple times on Twitter. That's a, a local brewery here from uh, Ontario. They're a, they're a little bit away from where I live. Actually, I live north, hence the uh, the bearded look. Um, but uh, they're a little further south from me. They're a brewery called Wellington. It's called a special pale ale. It's kind of a mix between um, a uh, an amber ale, a brown ale, and a, a pale ale. It's a complete blend of the three. I highly recommend it if you can get your hands on it. It is a fantastic beer. I'm just drinking water. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because of the medication I'm taking, if I drink alcohol, it intensifies the effect. So I'm not supposed to be drinking, but I do time it when it wears off before I have to take it again. So I do do manage to sneak in uh, a beer here and there. but, you know, as we get towards the end of our our, our uh, podcast here, Rich, I, I think to sum up today's episode, the Broncos are going to be okay in terms of outside or inside linebacker. I, I, and kind of to bring up a point that Boggan said, one issue that the Broncos are going to have to look into next year is, is the edge position 
because we don't know what's going to happen with Von Miller and the inside linebacker, uh, I believe he said, was the other issue in terms of whether they re-sign uh, Alex jo- Alexander Johnson, if they move on from Josie Jewell, if Baron Browning turns out to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, a, a really good player or not, and if he stays on the team. I mean, th- there's a lot that can happen still. But a- in terms of paper right now, I think that the Broncos are going to be fine as long as, you know, knock on wood, no more injuries. Bradley Chubb comes back just fine. Von Miller continues to be the Von Miller we know and love, and they can keep that chemistry going. And we just we just want to see these guys go out on the field and do what they do best, and that's just sack the quarterback. I, I agree. So uh, holding your feet to the fire a little bit, who, who do you think is going to end up being – what I I'm, I'm going to guess is probably four outside linebackers that we end up keeping maybe, but, but who do you think is going to, going to end up being those guys on our team? You mean next season? I mean, this season. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't look, I already asked you a crystal ball question. I don't expect you to go full year out. <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, I think I think the players we talked about today make the cut. I don't see them anybody else getting like cut or anything to be honest with you. Uh because I think one thing that the Broncos are going to really try to build on this season is depth because even though it's not cornerback that which is what really bit us in the butt last season, uh George Payton and and Vic Fangio want to make sure that the depth is there. Uh, so we don't have to go out there and play without a quarterback. So we don't have to go out there and play without a, a really good running back, uh, and you know, and vice versa. So, but that's a question that I'll be more than happy to come back to once we uh, wrap up uh, preseason and uh, or we get close to it, and I see some tape on on what these guys uh, can do. And we still don't know how much playing time our veterans are going to get in in preseason because guys like Von Miller as great as he is he's gonna come in with some some ring rust you know he's got to get himself worked back in there because being an offseason away from football it on your body it takes a really big toll and it takes time to kind of get it readjusted to you know that mentality and you know just that that football shape so to speak i i actually think that's that's going to be a battle between miller and fangio i think Miller is going to want to probably go out and play in preseason because he's going to want to use that as time to knock that rust off. Mm-hmm. And I think Fangio is going to say, slow your roll. We kind of want you for this season. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> and, uh, and so I actually think that what we're going to probably see is you might even see some some chirping, kind of what we saw from uh, Shelby Harris on the sideline last year with uh, Fangio after that uh, mm-hmm. after that game. Yeah. I guess Von Miller actually really getting worked up because he's going to want to probably use this time to get himself kind of back into kind of that swing of things. And Fangio is going to say the bench is that way. We'll see you in game one. And and I, I have a funny feeling that that's probably what's going to happen. And this was actually, and he beat me to this. Mr. Boggins is actually going to be at the second preseason game. He got tickets to go see the Broncos play the Seahawks. So I'm really jelly, man, but I hope you and your fiance have a really great time and you come back and give us some really good info uh, for the Mile High Roundtable uh, podcast. So with that being said, guys, that's going to do it for our show today. Rich and I would like to thank all of the people that were able to come and make it on to, to uh, watch us live Richie Rich of course I, I don't know why I said your name first Mr. Boggins, Vic, Alamo on the Rise Dave Glassman, Bob Skinner uh, Muhammad Baji I know you came in late but thank you so much for stopping by Travis Tarbox and anybody else who I may be missing Dave Glassman I don't know if I said your name already but thank you guys so much for listening and before I turn it over to Richie uh, to take us on out I just want to say thank you guys so much for being here every every single time and you know listening to what rich and i have to say and whether we're drinking water or drinking beer you know we're just two guys having a good time so with that being said richie take it away 
Uh, I never drink water. Um, <laughs> Too healthy. <laughs> <laughs> Ever. <laughs> um, uh, I kid, I kid. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, as we all know at this point, uh, the Mile High Roundtable is on a quest for 1,000. We need 1,000 subs on YouTube. That is really and truly what we are trying to get to. We would greatly appreciate it if you could share, spread, the, the love for the channel everywhere you can, whether it be Facebook or or on Twitter. Just please try and help us get our channel out there so we can get to that 1,000 subscribers here on YouTube. We also have a few friendly bets going on as a result of getting ourselves to that 1,000 sub. One of such is our or your co-host, actually, on the Mile High uh, Roundtable 6'10", Glenn mm-hmm. Hauser has committed to wearing the barrel and only the barrel. <laughs> it's one of those shows if we get to 1,000 subs. So I just wanted to, you know, really, really drive that home and hopefully we can all get our channel up to that 1,000 sub mark. We really want as many Broncos fans in here as possible. So that's also important, not just to subscribe, but to hit that little bell notification icon that there that's there at the bottom so that you know when we go live every time we go live. And for those of you who follow the Nothing Rhymes with Orange and Blue podcast on Sundays, we want to make it our mission to hear over the PA at Imbauer Stadium at Mile High, the Mile High Five. So for everyone in our audience, if we could please ask you to join us in a mile high five one two three mile high five thank you very much see this is the thing you have with six foot ten and i we're both actually really tall (laughs) so our mile highs are actually off camera so you just have to forgive us and uh some other important ways you can follow us and keep up with what we're doing here at mile high roundtable You can follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. Are you ready for this? It's the same everywhere. M-H-R-T Podcasts with an S. And that is on all platforms. There's no way you can't find us. It is just that easy. We are also available wherever podcasts are available to you. So just go ahead and search us and find us there. Subscribe, like, follow, do whatever you need to do. And we appreciate all of your support all of the time. Next week, we will be back at our usual time on Tuesdays. And I wanted to point everyone to our other shows. Up next this week is the Thursday show of our namesake podcast, Mile High Roundtable. Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Mountain. And on Sunday, we have our Nothing Rhymes with Orange and Blue, 6 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Mountain. Now, last week they did go on at about 6.20, Nothing rhymes with orange or blue, so that may be a new time. I think we're still working that out. Until next week, I'm Richie Rich A. On behalf of myself and my co-host, a six foot ten Mexican, want to thank you for joining us. Until next time, go Broncos. Adios. <laughs> <laughs>